Rude Boys and Girls, and welcome to another episode of Dream Nation Podcast. I've been putting out these episodes for about a year, so we have about 12, so check out the old episodes as well. On this special show, I'm really excited to interview Pauline Black of The Selector for the podcast. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! <laughs> Pauline and The Selector have been performing since 1979, inspiring bands like No Doubt, Rancid, and many, many others. The Selector wrote many songs addressing sexism, fascism, and racism. The band was groundbreaking for the times, and Pauline was a female singer dressed in a man's outfit and a band that was made up of both black and white races, which was very, very non-traditional for the times. I can go into the history of ska and two-tone culture, but it's probably going to take me seven episodes just to get through it. I recommend if you're interested in listening to ska and two-tone music, definitely check out The Selector's new album that's coming out. It's called Daylight. And also Google Ska and Rocksteady online. And um, there are a lot of really great documentaries out there. There's one by Noisy. There's another one called Two-Tone Britain. That's really wonderful. And it's all on YouTube and you can watch it. Grab a bottle of wine if you are overage and make a night of it. To set the scene, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how two-tone culture came around. Now, I am not a history major, so this is just my brief version of ska and two-tone culture and reggae. So if you have any corrections, please add them into the Instagram comments and I will address them and I will do my best to paint the most up-to-date picture of what actually happened in regards to two-tone culture. So the era was 1950 and World War II recently ended. In the UK, many cities were bombed out. To repair the buildings after the war, the UK reached out to the West Indies with an offer to pay people to come and repair the bombed out cities. The promise was that they would make enough money and return back home to their families. The West Indies immigrants were soon followed by an influx of Irish immigrants looking to earn a living as well. Both immigrant classes never earned enough money to go back home. Instead, they settled in the UK and began raising families. The poor economy in the UK gave rise to racial tension between the new classes of immigrants and the locals. And now we have the Chinese, the Persian, the Jamaican, and the Irish immigrants continuing to add the fuel to Margaret Thatcher's reign of xenophobia into the late 70s. It's very similar to what's happening right now with Brexit, you know, in the year 2017, and it's also very similar to what's happening with Make America Great Again in the U.S. So even though this was 1979 and the 70s and the 80s, um, not much has changed which we talk about in our podcast. So the high unemployment rates led to a surge in creativity. The unemployment check acted as an art subsidy for many artists and the streets were filled with riots. The energy was bouncing off the walls and needed a channel, and that channel was ska. And the Jamaican immigrants came over playing ska and reggae music, which became very appealing to many youths looking for an emotional outlet. So, fast forward to the late 70s, 80s. Stay with me. The Jamaican fashion and music was quickly copied by British youth and became mixed with punk. Rock, steady, punk, soul, reggae quickly turned into ska. And the looks were called tone. A black and white checkered graphic represented black and white unity. So whenever you see Van's shoes out, whenever you see somebody wearing a black and white checkered belt, just a checkerboard, that means uh, two-tone. So that represents two-tone culture. So that was when the Specials co-founder, Jerry Dammer, launched his two-tone records, Ska Revival label in England. And that sparked the two-tone movement with bands like Madness, Bad Manners, Uh, the Body Snatchers, and of course the Selector, which was on the label as well. The idea behind Two-Tone was to celebrate the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. And you had this really amazing culture where black and white people were performing together in a band, and it just represented racial unity, and it gave people hope. 
that people can work together and they celebrated their similarities which was really really incredible and the selector still performs with Pauline Black and the original singer Arthur Gaps Hendrickson that's been nearly four decades they continue to create songs with their social commentary which was really really important I was deeply honored to sit down with Pauline Black for a short podcast at the Knitting Factory in NYC. So um, here it is. Without further ado, enjoy. I just want to thank you for your contribution to I think women, especially in ska and punk rock. Oh, thank um, you, Ilya. I just want to give you a humongous thank you for all the amazing work that you do with your lyrics because 30, 40 years ago, still some stuff is happening. Exactly. In some ways, it's worse. So my first question, which I ask every guest, is what was your dream as a kid? My dream as a kid was probably to be a doctor. Well, you wanted to radiology, I heard. Well, it was a roundabout way. I wanted to be a doctor. Then I read John Wyndham's The Trouble with Lichen, and then I thought that there was a story caught in that, and the woman was a biochemist. And it was the first time I'd come across a woman as a scientist. I was always interested in science when I was young. And, um, and I thought, no, I think I'll be a biochemist. So anyway, I ended up um, at, uh, in Coventry, which is in the middle of England, um, at university there doing um, biochemistry for a couple of years. And I got bored with that. And then I became a radiographer. And then after that, I joined the band. So that led you to being in a band, and now you're managing a band, which has the same skills you would use as Well, I was managing a band up until last year, and now we have our own manager. But I mean, I still do hands-on kind of, do you know what I mean, sort of day-to-day kind of, uh, it's more, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, I don't sit there and let people say, you do this. I mean, I have a hand in what we do. So. You know, my podcast talks a lot about combining creativity and actually running businesses because artists are forced to be business people. You know, so what advice do you have for people who are starting a band that you can possibly give? The best advice that I could possibly give to any new band that's coming along would be, one, make sure you know why you're standing on the stage. I mean, it always helps if you know that. Um, If it's just to get famous, well, then the probability is that you won't because, I mean, it's just a really tough business in that way. If you do, it won't be a problem for you, anything after that. but I mean, you know, if you're one of those bands and uh, you're, you're in the process of kind of climbing the ladder of it, is to know your business um, side of things because, you know, I mean, it's everyone knows that bands get ripped off. Um, certainly back in the day when we started, which was the late 70s, early 80s, most bands, I mean, it was just kind of de rigueur that you might get ripped off. So that was um, no problem. But people didn't pay attention. They didn't pay attention to what was going on, what contracts they were signing, what things, you know, had to be done or whatever. It was all a bit sort of sex, drugs, rock and roll in those days. Um, I think that's less so now. I think that I'm not saying that those three things aren't around. I'm sure they are. Um, but I, I think that younger people these days have more of a handle on the business side of things, um, for mainly because of social media and all of that kind of stuff, um, and uh, and of course these wonderful um, you know IT technology which has helped immensely. You know when you had to have a pencil and paper and do your accounts every year, I mean that was that wasn't so good. Now you got all these groovy kind of you know um, things that you can do for your accounting and things. So uh, you just had to rely on a fairly dodgy accountant in those days and giving him a whole load of receipts in a carrier bag which I mean was probably his worst nightmare I would imagine so that would be my advice <laughs> so 
Selector has a new album and it's called Daylight. Mm -hmm. What is your message to the world with it? Well, I don't know whether the world is listening or not, but I mean, I am. Oh, good. Well, you're due. You're due. You're due. Indeed. Indeed, you are. Indeed, you are. Um, I would think, I mean, the reason we called it Daylight was because um, I just feel as though that our function, um, our, you know, I mean, we're a band that's been around for nearly 40 years now. Our function is to uh, shed some daylight on some of the sort of thornier problems that there are um, around in the world and problems which we started off as two-tone being ostensibly about kind of, you know, um, anti-racism, anti-sexism kind of uh, thing. And here we are 40 years later and we seem to be in a situation where those things are still in existence and quite apart from anything else on some fronts they're getting worse um, and um, activity which I thought was now you know like uh, pushed aside has come back out of the closet as it were and is being normalized all the time um, and, uh, and not only normalized by small groups of people you know um, sort of alt writers or whatever but large groups of people like you know in government around the world um, and that's a really scary proposition I think so uh, if we can shed any daylight on that or just make people actually realize one it works on two levels shedding daylight on something to light up problems that are happening and also you know the, the whole fact that the sun comes up regardless of what happens every day and um, you know and in that there's always hope there is that's the sun will rise indeed indeed, indeed. even if we do blow each other to bits right. the sun will always rise <laughs> You've been creating songs um, that fight racism, sexism, fascism, police brutality um, since 1979. And my question is, do you think that music can maybe tune the entire world into a harmonious frequency? Like, we're all out of tune. Well, who knows? I mean, you could talk about the music of the spheres, couldn't you? And all of those kind of things. But, I love the but, music of the well, yes, the music of the spheres is wonderful. But I mean, I, I wonder how harmonious that is. I mean, the universe is a scary place, uh, quite apart from anything else. I mean, there are trillion, trillions of light years between all, all the planets that are out there, all the kind of supernovae and all of those kind of things. They seem to be having a pretty raucous time, don't they? So if that's the macrocosm, if you take it down to the microcosm, all the fuss that we're having here now is probably kind of, you know, it's... That, that siren is very... I know, it is timely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, maybe they should have the cacophony of the spheres rather than the music of the spheres. That's what we deal in. Did you ever read uh, David Burns' the Music Works? I read some of it. Uh, yeah, one of our bass players, not the bass player now, the previous bass player. He had it and I remember reading it, yeah. That's where I found out about the music of this. Oh, okay. It just, it just, I love okay. that book, I love music. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, we're all different notes and we all make different sounds. It's great, but we mm. need to find a new song and that's what I think music can actually do to the world. Music is one of the I think we have to get our scales in sync. We do, right? <laughs> like music can bring people together and that's yes. what we saw with two-tone movement. And if people just like hung out together, ate food, and like we just had public places where you can come together and hang out, mm -hmm. it is such a massive thing mm -hmm. as opposed to just breaking up into little tiny bars here and on this mm -hmm. way. Just giant music festivals. So, um, let's see. How 
can people start to create solutions maybe? I know this is really abstract. How can people start to create solutions? Well, I don't see that as abstract at all. Um, people can create solutions, one, by what you say, coming together, being involved, realizing and understanding that their vote means something. Right, people have died to get votes. We didn't get votes as women until... Well, no, quite late on, you know, sort of um, same as at home as well. You know, I mean, a woman threw herself at, in front of a horse, or the king's horse, I think it was, or whatever, one of the suffragettes in Britain. You know, I mean, that's what I mean. People have died to get the vote. Black people in this country have definitely died to get the vote, and they can even get the vote, and then they gerrymander the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the boundaries of whatever county it is and things like that to kind of, you know, disempower people and all of those kind of things. And I don't feel that people really take um, their vote particularly seriously. They just feel now that they are so far away from what happens in big government and things like that, that it has nothing to do with them. But of course it does. They can only govern because we let them and we have to remember that, you know. And, um, and we should remember that. And I think until people begin to realize that and remember that, you will never get any meaningful change. I think people have to realize that they can run for governments and they can create their own governments. And I think if more people decide that you just come together and just play around, maybe something might happen. I kind of joke that I want to create a loverment where it's just like, it's interesting. Lover. You know, just get everybody. That doesn't feed people then. I will try to figure it out. I don't know how. I've been joking about it. It's like, how do we do this? Um, That's good though. It's a good loverment. I a like loverment. that. I want, and I, I want to get everybody together and like, I don't know. The hippies tried that when I was about 15. No, oh, well, I mean, they did something, I guess. Right? right? 2.0. You yeah. try again. So, I know you have a set coming up, and I don't want it to be too long. Because no, you it's have to okay. Um, my question for you is, what is your dream as an adult? My dream as an adult? Well, I've been an adult for so long, I really don't know. Uh, whatever dreams I've had um, have either been realized or, or I've been sadly disappointed. Um, my dream as an adult is to um, keep going and doing what I do as long as possible. If possible. Yeah. It is possible. You're doing well, it. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. But I mean, you know, as you get older and things like that, um, health becomes problems sometimes for some people. You don't know what's around the corner in the same way that you do when you're younger and uh, sort of quite vital and uh, all your hormones are in place. <laughs> you know, I have one more question. That question is, what funding advice do you have for bands or people who are starting projects? Because a lot of people are stuck in their day job, right? They're afraid mm -hmm. to leave. Sometimes you tour, you don't have enough money. And sometimes that's what holds people back from mm -hmm. doing things, right? So what is your advice to the people who are thinking about doing it or are a little scared or they haven't figured out a way to groove and make money off of their project yet? It's difficult to uh, make money uh, from music these days. It's difficult for musicians, even established musicians, to make money from music. I mean, we used to know that if we put an album out, we would make revenue from them. But now, with people kind of, you know, downloads and things like this, um, and everyone, you know, kind of getting, assumes that they should get their music for free, it's very, very difficult. And Spotify and, and um, and uh, iTunes really don't pay 
anything like what they should do um, for, uh, for, for, for record streaming. So unfortunately, that is the future, and that's going to be the future for all new bands coming up. They have to navigate that in some way. I don't have an answer. I do know, or well, I don't say I do know, but I certainly don't recommend all that pledge music stuff and things like that. I think that's just you end up having to basically whore yourself for not very much and it doesn't really expand your base as such or, or, or anything. I think you just have to kind of get yourself set up with some equipment um, and uh, you can have a day job and do that and get yourself noticed in some way and basically if you're good enough or have something that people are interested enough to to listen to you, um, you will begin to get people come around and get audiences and that's the key. And I mean live music is the way if you're gonna make money these days um, is the way to go unless of course you're going to be the next Justin Bieber or I don't know. He just quit. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, he was in. He went to church, and then he went on a rampage. Apparently, I really don't have my finger on the pulse. It's okay. <laughs> Better to keep your fingers out of it. <laughs> Not quite. Quite. Well, well, I hope it's okay. Yeah. Do you think about doing another Rock um, Against Racism concert, maybe coming up on a larger, larger, massive scale? Maybe get Justin Bieber involved. <laughs> well, I'm sure he'd be interested. Well, he might be. He Who might knows? Be. Who knows? Around. Who knows? Look, that's for a generation now to decide what they wish to do with things. I mean, I know what I want to do with stuff. I'm not really sure that those things... Um, you know, I do think, yes, I mean, people should come together. They should come together around some kind of a banner or whatever. But all this identity politics, which is all going on at the moment, all little individual groups sort of, you know, that's not the issue. The issue is, is, um, you know, are we going to have a world in a few years' time with the idiots who are in government at the moment, you know? I mean, threatening all kinds of things and threatening nuclear war against other countries and stuff like this. That, I, that to me, I mean, you know, I'll live with the rest. I can sort that, but I can't sort that. No one can sort that. And I do think that um, people should be addressing the questions that uh, are maybe a little bigger now than what they were. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Julian. I will see you in London sometime again when you're performing. You actually hope so. me to move out to London. So yeah? Yeah, because I started listening to Scott. Okay. And I lived out there for a while. So Did you like it? I loved it. I want to go back. Okay. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world so it's dream nation love share it with your friends have a great day and go out and make the world a better place